This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. I have no idea if President Trump can keep up this pace. It's like it's impossible. Every day. Every day there's like four things. So we'll, we'll do our best to, to, to recap and, uh, and look ahead. We'll talk about the visa and refugee executive order, of course. Uh, the president's talk with the Australian prime minister. There's this weird witch hunt going on with, with companies, in particular tech companies. Remember before November, it was all corporations should never get involved in politics. Corporations aren't people like that. Thing. And now it's how dare you not have an opinion on politics, Uber? And you're like, huh? And the tech companies are out outraging each other. Like Uber's like, we're this much outraged. And Lyft is like, well, we're way more outraged. And then Airbnb's, we're the most outraged. <laughs> like, who cares? It's very weird. And then BuzzFeed is going out, ask, well, IBM, what do you think about this executive order that really has nothing to do with you? Really, really interesting how that flipped all of a sudden. So we'll talk about that. Uh, also, Gorsuch, of course, and finally... I promise we will get to this. I will um, I'll give some advice to the left. I had the opportunity last week to talk to Bill Whittle. I like Bill Whittle a lot. And I asked him, uh, if you were giving advice, if you were a consultant to the media, to universities, to progressives, to the Democratic Party, what would your advice be to stop Donald Trump? And he gave a good answer. We'll review that. And, and I want to go a little bit deeper and, and give my advice on how to beat Donald Trump, now you're thinking, whoa, 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 Slater. Going to give advice. Okay, first of all, when, when uh, during the campaign, I'd give give advice to Hillary Clinton, and people are like, well, you're, why are you helping her? <laughs> Sorry, she's not listening. Uh, the media, CNN's not listening to this. Uh, I, I'm honored that you think I, I have that much influence. But it's important that we know the one way, and there is one way to be Donald Trump. It's important we know what that is. So that we can be aware if they ever figure it out. Are you with me? So if they start doing this thing, well then it's it's going to be a little tougher for Trump to get everything done. So we need to be uh, alert for that. So we'll talk about that coming up. I want to start here though. Uh, Berkeley. I mentioned universities a second ago. The protests at UC Berkeley. Berkeley is totally out of control. California's out of control. Our universities are out of control. And Berkeley is the worst of them all. Berkeley is, is almost too progressive for California. Like it's, it's unbelievable what's going on there. Every single day, all the time, they're having crazy stuff. But the riot at the Milo speech the other day uh, obviously went too far. Uh, I want to chat about that, but I want to start here with a story from Jack London. Might be a nice read uh, this week. It's a short story. It'll take you 10 minutes. 
It's called To Build a Fire. It's free online. Just Google. To Build a Fire, Jack London. You can read it there. If I could could talk to the, the rioters, the students at Berkeley, protesters, and have them all gather around, sit Indian style on the magic carpet and read them a story, I would read them this story right here because there's a lot of important lessons that I think they should pick up. The story is about a man in the Yukon Gold Rush just before 1900, 75 degrees below zero, and it was him and a sled dog. The very short of the story is he, the man, thought he could do it alone. He was prideful against Mother Nature. He thought he could handle it. He was traveling over a frozen river, and, and, and it was frozen thick, but there were some natural springs that weakened the ice. And he's like, that's no big deal. I can avoid him. I know what to look for. So he did. He avoided a bunch of them until he missed one and he fell in the water. Now, he was able to get out, but it was obviously freezing to death. It's 75 below zero. He still thought he was fine, though. No big deal. So he started a fire. Got the fire going. And Jack London tells this beautifully, obviously. But he gets the fire going. The problem is he started it under a tree. And the smoke from the fire melted the snow on the branches above him and all the snow from the tree fell on top of him and extinguished the fire. And, you know, he had to dig himself out. So he tries to start another fire, but this point's getting a little more desperate. He can't pick up the matches when he drops them in the snow. His fingers are so frozen. So it's getting a little more desperate. He still thinks he can do it though. He decides to kill the dog and uses, cut it open, use his carcass to stay warm to the morning. So he does, he grabs the dog, but he realizes he can't kill it. He can barely move. He, he can't move his arms at all. He can't move his legs. And spoiler alert, he dies. But here's the key part. Throughout the whole story, whenever something bad happens, and I left out a bunch, but whenever something bad happens, Jack London always writes about advice from the old timer. He keeps referring back to the old timer. We don't ever meet the old timer. But he keeps writing about the old timer. So this is right after the man avoided one disaster. Uh, he writes, Jack London writes to the man, he remembered the advice of the old timer on Sulphur Creek and smiled. The old timer had been very serious in laying down the law that no man must travel alone in the Klondike after 50 below. Well, here he was. And he had the accident. No big deal. He was alone and he saved himself. Those old timers. Uh, those old timers are rather womanish, he thought. All a man had to do is keep his head. He'd be all right. Any man who was a man could travel alone. So there's the pride, right? He avoided a disaster. Full timer said I couldn't avoid it. Look, I did. Fine. Any man who's a man could travel alone. Later in the story, another bad thing happens. Perhaps the old timer on Sulphur Creek was right. If he had only had a trail mate, he would have been in no danger now. Later in the story, he's closer to death. The old timer on Sulphur Creek was right. A man should travel with a partner. And then right before the man freezes to death, he starts hallucinating, basically. And Jack London writes, he drifted on from this to the vision of the old timer on Sulphur Creek. He could see him quite clearly, warm and comfortable, smoking a pipe. You were right, old hoss. You were right. The man mumbled to the old timer on Sulphur Creek. 
and then he dies. It's the end of the story. A lot of great themes throughout this short story, but here are the two main ones. First, there are laws of nature that you have to respect. There are great truths in this world that you can choose to ignore, but they will smack you in the face before long. And there are truths that you can ignore and get away with it for a while. Like, like the man's fingers didn't freeze off right away. But 75 below zero got him eventually. The truth always wins. And secondly, the importance of taking advice from old timers. From people who have been there before. And this is what I would say to the students at Berkeley. Listen to those with wisdom and experience. I love Proverbs 4. The beginning of wisdom is this. I, and I love that. This is such a great intro. The beginning of wisdom is this. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is it? What's the beginning of wisdom? Get wisdom. At first I was like, well, that's, what is that? What do, you mean? what do you mean the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom? Like, obviously. That's like, what's the beginning of making bread? Make bread. You're like, well, hold on. that doesn't answer anything. So the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. The point is you have to seek it. You have to go get it. You got to want it and you got to go get it. All right, so what does this have to do with Milo and Berkeley? The students there, and at most universities, are like this man in the freezing cold. They think they have all the answers. They think they know better than anyone. They think they don't need wisdom. They think they have all they need. And they don't need to listen to anyone. They have all the answers. Now, maybe this is what 18-year-olds are supposed to think, and that's cool. I get it. But I think the point of college has always been, you take an 18-year-old who's leaving high school. I'm only 32. It was only one that long ago. Like, I get it. You're an 18-year-old. You're leaving high school. You're, you're the king at high school. You're the king. You know more than those stupid freshmen, right? So you're, you know everything. So you take an 18-year-old who thinks he knows everything, and then you send him to college where he gets hit by a freight train. And hopefully the 18-year-old realizes he knows nothing. And all the teachers that, the, you know, they were, you know, I'm smarter than my high school teachers or whatever. You can manipulate your teachers. Then you go talk to professors, right? And they, they give you these books by the great authors that you never read in high school. And you're like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. And over the next four years, the university is supposed to break down the arrogance and then build wisdom from that and then send them off into the real world. That's the point of college. But that's not what goes on anymore. Today, colleges are places where the arrogant know-it-all 18-year-old goes and his views are confirmed. His views are validated. His views are protected. He goes to college and an arrogant 18-year-old and leaves an even more self-assured 22-year-old. Because all that happened those last four years was a bunch of adults taught him everything that reinforced his previously ignorant worldview. So the only question is, when these graduates enter the real world, will the real world coddle them too? Like that, like when, when these kids go off to a real job, will the bosses coddle them like the professors? Or will the real world smack in the face like the 75 below zero temperature of the Yukon Territory did to that man? And will these kids regret not listening to the old timer? Now, I'm not saying the old timer knows everything. It's more just the posture of humility. Arrogance used to be broken down at universities. Students should leave humble. They should leave the four years more humble than when they arrived, realizing that they know way less than they ever thought. They shouldn't leave more arrogant. And every professor, 
Every professor, I don't care what you teach a professor, every professor at Berkeley should be ashamed of the university for having so many students on campus who bask in their ignorance. To the point where we won't even let someone else speak because he's wrong, I'm right, I know it. I can't learn anything from them. No one should be allowed to listen to that. And I'm going to burn the building down. That is incredibly arrogant. And they celebrate it. That's the sad part. one 888 Again, the book or the short story, it's called, it's really short, To Build a Fire by Jack London. Slater right here on Twitter. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. This is Mike Slater. Slater, because I have one more segment on these, uh, these college students in general. Then I want to talk about what happened uh, with the Prime Minister of Australia. We'll talk about Australia's immigration policy. It's crazy. Um, I think I said probably two years ago, the characteristic that I look for most in a president, or I was looking for most, is curiosity. I love that characteristic in people because if you're curious and you question everything, uh, it means you want to know the truth. So I don't know about Trump and his curiosity. I haven't spent enough time with him. I always thought Trump was arrogant. But that's not precise enough because arrogant people don't surround themselves with exceptional people. An arrogant person would not hire Rex Tillerson or Mad Dog Mattis or General Kelly. They just it wouldn't. Uh, arrogant people only surround themselves with yes men and people below them, like not as smart as them, not as talented. Um, these people are exceptional. So arrogant people don't do that. So Trump's not arrogant. He's braggadocious. He's blowhard and some other adjective, but not arrogant. But anyway, I, I don't know what, I don't know how curious he is. Now, something I've heard over and over about Trump, and, and, I, and I did witness this firsthand uh, once, is he's always asking for people's opinions. He's always asking what you think. You know, what do you think of this? What do you think I should do? What do you think of that? And, and he listens he listens intently. Now, he makes up his own mind, of course, but he, but he listens. He asked me, uh, this was last December. Uh, he goes, Slater, what, what do you think I should do? This was about skipping the debate, right? Remember, he kind of threw out there that he's going to skip the debate, and then he decided he's not. And it was, right, it was a couple of days before, and he goes, what do, you, what do you think I should do, Slater? And I said to myself, I was like, let's, let's do this. I said, I think you should skip it. I said, it's the ultimate power move, Mr. Trump. You'll get way more press, way more attention by skipping it than if you go. Skip it. He didn't skip that one, but he skipped the next one. I take credit. Point is, he was asking my opinion. Like, why? Why is he asking my opinion? Who am I? Nothing. No one. Like, but he listened. 
in the art of the deal, he talks about how they went to go pick out marble for the lobby of one of his hotels and they're at the quarry or whatever. And he was deciding between three colors and he asked everyone who was with him. There was a reporter that was with him, uh, who followed him that day. He asked his you know, assistants. He asked the people who weren't there. He asked the janitor who was clearing up, clearing, like cleaning up nearby, right? The janitor's having to be walking by. And Mr. Trump goes, uh, excuse me, sir. What, 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 like, what? And then they all gave their advice. And then he made his choice. So I don't know. That's, that's something that a curious person would do, I think. Hmm. I don't know. Either way, it's essential. To be curious. That's why Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Kids are curious. They're asking why about everything. What is this? Why does it do that? Why does it do that? Who does this? Blah, blah, blah. All the nonstop. They're so curious about the world. Jim Gaffigan has a joke um, where he, he says uh, he realizes how little he knows about things because he, he goes, you know, recently my son pointed to an antenna and he said, look, daddy, a stick. And I said, actually, son, that's an antenna. He goes, what's an antenna? Uh, it's a stick. <laughs> like he, he didn't know how to explain an antenna because we, we've all lost our curiosity about the world around us. Walt Disney said that the special secret can be summarized in the four C's. Curiosity, confidence, courage, consistency. And I think he went on and said the most important one's confidence, but I think the most important one's curiosity because if you're curious you won't stop at anything until you find the truth and if you're curious then you have perseverance because you won't stop at anything until you find the truth so anyway to bring it back to what's going on in berkeley they're not curious those kids aren't curious about anything like it is the it is the height of arrogance the opposite of curiosity to say someone's coming to speak at my school well listen it's bad enough maybe to say nah i don't want to go and that's fine you can't go to everything right but you're like oh, i don't want to go i disagree with him I mean, that, that's pretty arrogant. If you got nothing to do that night, you're at university, that's the point, right? To go to things like this, you should say, yeah, yeah, I'll go. See what he has to say. But it's even worse to not let anyone else go, to have the, even the concept of shutting it down. Like, that, that's so, that's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. But you are so arrogant to think that you can't learn something by listening to someone who you probably disagree with. Even, even if you go, Okay, so if, you, if, if these people went to Milo and Milo said 100 things, you're telling me you're not going to find one thing you agree with them on? One thing that you can be like, you know, that's a pretty good point. Or here's the other thing. And even if this happens, this is great. You go to the speech. So let's say a super feminist goes to the speech. And Milo goes up there and talks about how feminists are awful or whatever. At the very least, the feminist can go, hmm, Okay, that's what he thinks feminism is. Interesting. Okay. Uh, all right, I'm going to use that to strengthen. He's wrong, but I'm going to use that to strengthen my argument about what feminism really is. So at the very least, you can walk away with, with more information that can help you make your argument. Right? So, so it's just so, you're so arrogant to say, there's nothing I can learn from you and, and no one, any, no one can learn anything from you. And I'm going to make sure you, you're not even allowed to speak. But that's our universities today. How odd. That is nothing, nothing to be proud of.
One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I like. I, I can't. Like, people are paying like big, big money for this. <laughs> I, I really hope my my son's four months. I really hope uh, in eighteen years the whole university system just completely implodes because I, I I'm not paying for this. It's gonna be like a hundred grand by the time Jack is eighteen, but a uh, hundred grand a year. Uh, but this this is no good. There's there's no point in in this. If this is how it's going to be. one 93 Slater Radio on Twitter. I want to come back talk about Australia. Funny little trick Australia played on America the other day. Australia has prison refugee camps, but they made Trump out to be the bad guy. About re- Very, very fascinating how they pulled that off. We'll talk about that coming up next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. So we're talking about the uh, the riots at Berkeley the other day. Uh, Andrew from Indiana called in a couple months ago, and we had a conversation about allowing guns on college campuses. You may remember that conversation. And Andrew from Indiana is back. What's going on, Andrew? Hey, what's up? Uh, I mean, there were a few things that you you know misspoke about me, but I, I'm not going to go into that because I mean I think you're a really nice guy, and I was kind of disappointed to see that you kind of railed on me after the call after we had a i think a reasonable discussion because you're a nice guy and i've seen you enough times on fox news or hosting dr drew you're you know you're very respectful and you know to say that i haven't shot a gun before that was completely incorrect i've been to a range my grandpa served in world war ii I, I'm, I'm i'm fully aware and i just want to know your stance now if you think uh, you know, if you're, you probably haven't swayed one bit on your view on guns on campus. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you why, why would your, why does what happened in Berkeley, why would it change anything? I don't get it. Well, you kind of, you're kind of contradicting yourself when you say, uh, college kids, when they come out at eight and 18, they're ignorant and they can't really stand on their on two feet and they're completely unaware of everything that's going on and you want guns in that atmosphere i said they're arrogant like mm-hmm. i meant more like arrogant about history and political views and things like that you said they're unaware you said they're completely unaware of what's going on uh, and I didn't they don't say know that. the issues and yeah issues issues but i don't think an 18 year old is uh ignorant enough to shoot someone in the face just because they happen to have a gun that's a different thing. I, I, I'm, the arrogance I'm speaking of is listening to your elders. That was the Jack London story that I that I read earlier, right? Um, and and just like American history and things like that. Not, I think all 18 year olds know you shouldn't shoot someone. You know, you quote you quoted your comedian, and I wanted to quote the comedian Jim Jeffries when <laughs> they took away all the guns uh, in Australia after their shooting. Uh, you know, they're one of the most nonviolent countries. In the world, after they had their shooting, they said, we're just going to take the guns away. And how'd that end up happening? Yeah, how did that end up happening? You tell me. Uh, they don't have – their murder rate went significantly down after 96. Hmm. 
Yeah, not really. <laughs> it didn't. No, uh, I mean, you can listen to Jim Jeffries tell you his that political point, but that's just not true. All right. So, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, 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 I, can, I can give you the numbers right now. I mean, it went down a little bit, but it actually went down to – so I, I'm looking at a graph right now. I can look at suicides or homicides. We can do either one. Um, Homic- but, homicides. Okay, so we do homicides because uh, you have gun, gun-related gun suicides is one reason why people say we should get rid of guns as well. But we'll do homicides. The homicide rate today, and it's similar with America. It goes up and down, right? It goes up and down. So you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was relatively low, and then it spiked up a little bit. Um, and then that's in 1996 is when Australia did the gun buyback program. It actually went up a little bit after that. And then, and then it went back down. So it's about where it was in 1980. It's not nothing, right? You create, you have this perception that all the guns were confiscated and now there's no homicide. That's not it. Like that, that's not true. Um, I'd love it if you could tweet over me some, some numbers that you have. Uh, but there, it's a, it's not, there's no crime or no gun crime in Australia because they confiscated guns. That's just not, not the case. Yeah, but I just see with all these liberal, absolute, insane groups, these anti-protesters just going up. You know, if if a Republican was to go to a left to a leftist and you know brandish his gun or you know even show his gun whatsoever, you know, I, I yeah, right that doesn't now, happen. This is what's so funny, Andrew. That doesn't happen. No, like, I, I know, I know, it's in the holster. I I know, I know. You you know you were doing that too. You. And then you said you don't know what a liberal atmosphere is. You know what a liberal atmosphere is. You know that ninety percent of professors are liberal. Uh-huh. They go they go through their undergrad, they get their graduate, they get their doctorate, and then they're back in college. You know this. Okay. Someone act so, like that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah of course. But what does that have to do with guns? Liberal eighteen-year-old people that have absolutely no brains whatsoever. You're very aware of that. Okay, so what does that have to do with guns? What does the liberal atmosphere have to do with guns? Well, no, you said you didn't know what a liberal atmosphere was. You kept asking that time after time after time. Well, okay, I, get, I mean, I get atmosphere? you're saying that college is full of progressives. Okay. Yeah, I get. Okay, I get that. But I don't know the connection between that and guns. That they don't mix well, and you can see the violence. That's going on right now, and I just think guns right now it would be the last thing that I would want. Okay, all right, real quick. So you, you talked about, you know, this is what happened in Berkeley. Does it affect my opinion whatsoever? There are guns in California. I'm sure people in Berkeley have guns, uh, but why did no one use them at the protest? Like, it's so funny. You, They could have been used, but they weren't. Why not? Why didn't people use guns at the riots the other day? You can't have guns on campus that you. Oh, you Berkeley? think that stopped them? You think that's? Are you allowed to have uh, you know pepper spray on campus? Are you allowed to light things on fire on campus? Are you allowed to rip barricades down on campus? Are you allowed to break windows on campus? Are you allowed to punch people in the face on campus? Are you allowed to rip people out of their car on campus? Are you allowed to beat people unconscious on campus? You're not allowed to do any of those things, and it all happened. So why didn't no one shoot a gun during the riot? You're well aware they're not one of the twelve states that allows guns on campus. No, 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 no. I listen to what I just said. You're not allowed to do a lot of things on campus that these rioters did. Why did none of the rioters shoot a gun? But it's it's about limiting. You know, if it, as far as guns, you you know that's going to kill a more significant amount of people. Yeah. When you when you eliminate the guns, it's going to take a lot more. It's going to take a lot longer time to kill someone with a baseball bat. People aren't going to be walking around with a baseball bat 
or a hatchet knife. No, but okay, let me ask the question again. Why did no one fire a gun at the Berkeley riots the other day? Because the laws are extremely strict in California. Okay. Wait, wait, what, what laws? What laws? The laws that say what? Make it difficult to get the a gun? Laws, the laws, Nancy Pelosi and everything. No, that she's no, no. I have a gun. I'm in, I'm in my house right now. I have a gun 10 feet from me. Okay? So it's not that hard. It's kind of hard, but it's not yeah, that hard. You're one of the rare... You're no, I'm not. No, I'm not. There's tons of guns Just in California. Like There's plenty of guns. No, answer this question. This, Andrew, this is so. This is essential to your entire opening question. Your entire opening question is: Did what happened in Berkeley change my opinion on guns on campus? I'm asking you: Why did no one fire a gun during the riots in Berkeley? All right, I'll leave your audience to the side. I appreciate. <laughs> okay, Andrew. Thank you. You need you need to okay. Just write me, tweet me whenever you get a second, whenever you want to answer that question, because that's a that's an essential question to your question. Okay, I just want to be very clear. Everyone is is with me with everyone here. I think you asked, did what happened in Berkeley change my opinion on should guns be allowed on campus? So I no, and I ask back to you, why did no one fire a gun during the Berkeley riots the other day? I will tell you why. There's a permanency to a gun. I don't think I don't know what the rule is with pepper spray on campus at Berkeley. To be honest, I don't know what the rules. But someone used it, and and fired it the pepper spray right in the face of a female student. She was doing an interview, and some guy walks up to her and sprays her right in the face with pepper spray. I am certain that if guns were allowed on campus, or even if that guy had a gun, that rioter would not have shot the woman in the face. There's a permanency to it, right? That, 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 to a gun that is not with pepper spray. And there are laws that would f put that guy away for a long, long time if you shoot a woman in the face. So it's not the gun. What I'm getting to is it's not the gun. It's whatever is inside your, that person's heart that they would shoot a gun at someone. That's the problem. That's the root of the problem. And this is when we go back, we can go back to Chicago if you want to and all these dangerous cities. The gun's not the problem. It's what would cause a person to point and fire a gun at another human being. That's the root of it. That's what we got to get to. I'm reading a biography about uh, Charles Lindbergh. And when he was a little kid, his dad gave him a gun at seven. <laughs> seven years old. Andrew, I'm pretty sure you're not going to give your seven-year-old a gun, right? Um, but why, was he, why, why did he trust his kid with a Because he knew Charles Lindbergh, seven years old, wasn't going to go up to someone and shoot him in the face. Okay, you, tra you, tra you train, you raise kids to make sure they realize that you, if there's a permanency to a gun and you could really hurt someone if you do it, you could kill them. Okay, so it's, it's, the, it's the person, not the gun itself. That is why no one shot a gun at the Berkeley riots the other day. I, I just think it's odd, Andrew. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to change your perception on this, but you have this perception that if someone owns a gun, then they're just going to kill people all the time. So we got to make sure no one has any guns because then, because if we have guns, I mean, everyone's going to kill everyone all the time. I don't know why you, you think that. Hmm. I don't know. People who carry guns are not reckless, trigger-happy psychos. And the only thing that's stopping reckless, trigger-happy psychos is banning guns or making it difficult to own them. No, no, there's a lot more preventing me and other people from shooting at people. I don't know why you think anyone who has a gun is, is just going to go around firing it off all the time. I don't know where that comes from.
1-800-988-933-93 if you want to uh, rebuttal to Andrew. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we'll take your call, and we'll talk about Australia next as well. Mike Slater Show, AM, uh, Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Let's talk about uh, Australia here for just a few minutes. So it was, I forget what night it was, Wednesday night, maybe, maybe Thursday night, I forget. Uh, and I read a Washington Post article, it was on the front of Drudge, and it was, uh, you know, uh, Trump threatens to invade Mexico. <laughs> so I linked to Washington Post, I read the article, I was like, what? Woke up the next morning, and the president of Mexico said, no, 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 no. Went back to the Washington Post article, and they took that part out of the article. The conversation went something like, or the original report was, uh, Trump said, uh, "Hey Mexico, if you don't secure your border, then uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna send in our military to secure it, or whatever." And the Washington Post took that as we're gonna invade Mexico, like we're gonna like roll into Mexico City next week, or like, oh, what the heck? In the same article, in the same article, it talked about how Trump. Uh, was super rude to the prime minister of Mexico, excuse me, Australia, and hung up the phone 22 minutes into what was supposed to be an hour-long conversation. Again, the next morning, prime minister of Australia said, no, that's not how it happened at all. Trump tweeted out, do you believe it? The Obama administration agreed to take thousands of illegal immigrants from Australia. Why? I will study this dumb deal. Okay, here here's the deal with this dumb deal. Australia... And, and this is what they were talking about. This is what Trump and the Prime Minister of Australia were talking about. Australia really doesn't accept immigrants at all. This goes back to actually the Vietnam War, but more recently, there was a uh, big controversy a couple of years back because refugees who made it to Australia were housed in refugee camps in Papua New Guinea. Wouldn't even let them in Australia. And the UN got involved and toured these prison camps, basically, and found multiple cases of attempted suicide and and depression in detention-like conditions. Uh, There's a psychiatrist who went there and said the camps are inherently toxic, whatever that means, and akin to torture. And there's a group called Save, Save the Children Australia, and he went there for a couple weeks, and he said that his main focus was just to convince people to stay alive. Like, that's how horrible these conditions are in these Aussie refugee camps in Papua New Guinea. But they won't let anyone in. In 2013, the prime minister, this prime minister, vowed stop the boats. Now, that's pretty much build the wall. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need a wall. It's an island. But, so their version is of, of build a wall, stop the boats. You can imagine that being, stop the boats, stop the, build the wall. Right, same thing. Posters uh, from the prime minister said, no way, you will not make Australia home. Wow. So, a year ago, two years ago, year and a half. The Obama administration said, all right, Australia, we will take 1,200 of the 2,000 refugees that you have in your camps. Now, we don't know what we got in exchange for this. Now, people have tried to think, like, what could we have gotten? Maybe Australia send more troops to Iraq. Maybe they do more patrols in the South China Sea. But there's no, we don't know. 
and we probably got nothing in exchange. And nothing infuriates Trump more than a bad deal. So you can totally see Donald Trump coming into this and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. They have prison-like conditions at their refugee camps, and the guy before me decided to take 60% of those refugees for nothing in return? No, 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 I don't think so. Can't you totally see Trump saying that? So, I mean, should we take Australia's refugees? They're not refugees from Australia. Should we take the refugees from Australia that Australia won't accept? I don't know. Let, let Australia figure that out. Seems to make sense, right? One person uh, at the refugee camp in Papua New Guinea said, this is how tired we are. I can't take it anymore. And he lit himself on fire. That day, five more people committed suicide. And this is what the immigration minister of Australia said in response. If people think that through, through action of self-harm, suicide, or harming a member of their family, that that is going to result in them coming to Australia and staying here permanently, that will not be the outcome. That's pretty ruthless. The Prime Minister of Australia said, we cannot be misty-eyed about this. We have to be very clear and determined in our national purpose. We must have secure borders, and we do and we will, and they will remain so, so as long as I am the Prime Minister of this country. This is why I half-joked a little bit ago that Australia played this hilarious trick on us and on the media, making Trump out to be the bad guy when Australia's got their own issues. Right? Australia's got to figure this out, I say. Why is, it, why is it our problem? Because Australia refuses to take their refugees. Uh, maybe, maybe if there's something that we take in return, then maybe we can have that conversation. But that's all Trump was saying. And it's not like the Prime Minister of Australia is some great humanitarian. It's probably more hardline than, than Trump is. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network.